Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. You are in the huddle with me, Bram, with me per usual. My boy and producer, Marcus. What's up, Deb Nation? And our master of all things sound, Maxime. How's it going? Gentlemen, I am excited to announce back from vacation, the Golden State beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, a guy who attends every single practice, press conference, shoot around and game and a man who just must be well-rested after three weeks of not having to bother with this show, Mr. Connor Letourneau. What's going on, Connor? Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Of course, man. So were you fired up to return and talk sports again and be back into the Golden State lifestyle? Or are you a little bit bitter to be back from vacation and not really have any storylines, at least warrior storylines, to report on? Yeah, I mean, honestly, normally when I go on my big uh, off-season break, I have the season, the upcoming season to look forward to. So, kind of toward my the end of my break, I kind of get that itch to to write and to be at practice and to do all that stuff. But there's no season really anytime soon. So, all I really have to look forward to is the draft lottery. Um, so it's, uh, it's a little different and I, I don't necessarily have that excitement level that I normally would just given the circumstances, but, uh, you know, I'm trying to make the best of it. You know, I'm trying to, you know, not be thinking about being on vacation still. Hell yes. I think that there's probably a website out there entitled how not to make a podcast.com that says somewhere like in the first paragraph, don't have your guest explain why the Warriors is super boring while you're talking on a Warriors podcast in the first 30 seconds. So we'll just pretend like I didn't say any of that. And also, Connor, get fired up, buddy, because we have big things to talk about today as far as the Warriors and basketball. But I'd be crazy not to at least ask you something about the bubble because we have bubble basketball. Everyone been watching? Honestly, very little. <laughs> I don't own and, a TV, and I've kind of been in vacation mode until a couple of days ago, so uh, I've, I've watched very little. Anybody, I mean, has anybody, I have been all over this, I would hope, and, and even if you guys have to lie, Marcus, Maxime, say yes, because I'm about to ask you guys some questions about it. So have you guys been watching? Yeah, I'm not lying. I've been all over it. It's been, <laughs> it's been amazing that it's been back. I mean, even, you know, you, you, I, I watch games that just aren't really that good of games like Orlando, Indiana, you know, just because basketball is back. So um, I've been over it. I'm, I'm excited about it. Well, I tell you what, Connor, we're going to be using your expertise hard when we talk about the mid-level exception. So if some of these questions don't speak to you about the bubble, I completely understand. Um, but I want to start here. So I've been watching. I love having basketball in my life. Some things are great. Some things are not so great. So 
Marcus and Maxime, you guys for sure, Connor, if something jumps to mind, I want your take too. But let me ask you this. I want you guys to tell me something that you do like, something that you hate, and something that you would like to change about the bubble. And let's split them up. Let's start with something that we like. MT, it sounds like you're fired up. Why don't you give us the first response? Cool. Something that I like, I mean, outside of just basketball being back, I mean, that was my initial first answer. But um, I think one of the things that I'm pleasantly surprised of is that it feels more normal than I thought it would. I thought, you know, looking at watching the preseason games, it felt like you were watching summer league a little bit. Um, And there still has it, you know, it doesn't feel like it's completely back to normal, but the competition is there. The high level of basketball being played is, is at a point where it feels like this is a real NBA game. It's still a little jarring when you don't see the fans in there and you see the digital versions. But um, I just like that basketball is back and it's, it's closer to the original product than I thought it would be. I agree with that. And I guess all of us will just assume the thing we like the most is having this source of entertainment in our life, right? I mean, having like reality TV essentially back in in a sport that we really enjoy watching. But as far as like a random, I don't know, observation from the bubble itself, something new that I like, I like the camera angles. You know, with the fans not there and them being able to load, I would imagine, the rest of that arena with you know, enough camera equipment to kill 50 small horses, they now have angles that we've never seen before, including like that tracking shot that we normally only see in football with that, that literally almost gives us a 360-degree uh, view of the entire court and then tracks as the ball is going. So I like that. It's, it's a new view on a sport I've been watching my entire life. Uh, Maxine, what do you got? Yeah, I, I this sort of builds off of that, or maybe I'm just trying to look for a way to connect it to what I like. But uh, I love that there are no courtside seats and that there are no cameramen underneath the basket. It's led to some, I think, really excellent basketball that you wouldn't see otherwise with people you know, diving out of bounds to catch loose balls and toss them back in. I think it's actually really upped the level of play. And I mean, we've gotten some some good funny stuff like Luca running out of bounds and, and dipping his head on that, you know, crazy camera angle that's coming by and almost takes his head off. But also that the opening game with um, the Lakers and the Clippers, when Caruso had this amazing kind of out of bounds grab and toss it back in, it looked like he stepped out of bounds when he tossed it in. It was so effortless. And that's the type of thing that you don't see normally. I actually think that we get the benefit of, you know, I'm sorry, Bram, but um, to quote Marcus about the beautiful game, uh, this is something that you see with soccer where so long as the ball stays in bounds, guys are really playing with that line a lot. And I love that we now get that in basketball. You didn't get that when you had fans and cameramen in the arena. So that's actually been a huge plus that I was unexpected, uh, that I wasn't expecting, that I was really pleasantly surprised about. I mean, what you're talking about is literally extra space for these guys to use their otherworldly athleticism, right? They're doing things we otherwise wouldn't be able to see because normally they're limited on the baseline by the amount of fans that are there. And I like that point, even though you were able to squeeze in a soccer reference, which I don't, which I don't like at <laughs> all. And I'm going to push it uh, immediately forward. And Connor, let me ask you this. So here's the thing I don't like. Have, have you seen, Connor, the the gifts of the fans that they have up on the war? Uh, the, yeah. The- 
Okay. So, you know, instead of um, what baseball has done, they don't have cutouts, but it's pretty similar. You know, they have little video gifts of people who have paid money and, uh, and have like a I don't know, two, three second interaction of them as a fan up there. So here's my idea, Connor, one more backdrop. They're pumping in fan noise. Um, how they're deciding how that's happening, I don't know. But there's always a home team, right? And for example, when the Lakers are the home team and the Lakers score, if you listen hard enough, they're actually pumping in fan noise. So here's my idea. If they came, I don't know logistics of this, but if the NBA could come up with an app and that app gives fans whose faces actually appear, right? Those people who paid for their gifts to, uh, to be up on the board, that app allows those people to press a button when they want to on their phone. And when they press a button, their little screen, that little person makes noise, right? And so it is literally up to the fans who have paid to be there. The way it would be in normal life is just a video representation to watch the game and decide when to participate, when to give their, their team a little boost of sound. And, it, you know, it's not going to be a one-to-one. It'll sound kind of weird. And it'll take a, a while to get the infrastructure on this up. But as far as an idea, what do you think? I like it. I like it. I think... Anything to to make that more interesting because it's just it's not working for me right now. <laughs> so I, I'm not sure if I told you this, but I've actually paid for and inserted your face as a fan gift. I hope that's okay. <laughs> it's, it's just gonna be it's gonna be appearing, you know, for a few teams. I, is that? I feel like that's a conflict of interest. I, you know, morally, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm okay with that. It's interesting because the shirt that you were wearing says, all I do is root for the Warriors and I don't uh, remain unbiased at all. So I, I hope that doesn't get you in any trouble, Matt. Uh, me too. <laughs> I, hope, I hope so too. Uh, you know, it's it's funny, man. I like So first of all, I, I actually don't think they're GIFs. I really do think that they're like live streaming these people in, which is why you get those funny like vacating seats halfway through the fourth when the game's clearly over people are just dipping out like they would in a regular arena uh, but regardless huh. i actually i have kind of a hot take on it which is that i really like it i think to marcus's point that the games feel uh as a viewer on tv more realistic more normal than i would have expected that really adds a lot to me the moments when you actually see the like side angle and like people are glitching out and it, and it looks like a zoom call. I'm not into that, but the, the majority of the time when you're watching the play, I'm so used to background movement that I think it would actually in the same way that piping in noise is really helping me feel like it's an authentic experience. I would really miss out on that if I didn't have movement in the background. It's just like a comforting blanket. I'm hard on the other side on that. Um, I, I, every single time I see those fans or those gifts or their live stream, whatever it is, every single time I see the video board that is now the representation of fan support, it pulls me out of the experience. It's like eating an ice cream flavor I absolutely love that suddenly has nuts in it that I didn't expect. You know, I mean, to, to what we've been saying is like the close-ups, the hoop looks like NBA hoop. And it did right from the beginning, right from that Clipper Lakers game that went down to the final shot. You know, like I, I was brought right back into the movement. I was brought right back into the rivalries. I liked having these people back in my life. But whenever they pulled out and I saw the fans in the video board, that was the reminder that things were different. There's a term in video games called the uncanny valley. We talked about this off mic uh, last time. And what it, what it says is that in the beginning of time when they had sports video games or any video games and the graphics were shit, 
if a character looked even somewhat close to what it was supposed to look like, we just loved it. Your brain made the leap. But as the graphics got better and better and better and better and things looked like they were supposed to, the things that didn't really stuck out. So if you have a character's face that looks dynamite, but the eyes are off, all you can focus on is the eyes. That's the uncanny valley. The uncanny valley in this basketball bubble are those damn fans. Like, I'm on board, dude. I'm in. I enjoy it. But whenever I see them, suddenly I remember, oh, yeah, whoa, this isn't real. You know, this is this is a pandemic version of normal basketball. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think you asked, like, something that we like, something that we hate, and something we would change. Um, jumping ahead, what I would change is that exactly. Because I, I feel the same way. When I see the fans in that environment and the way it's structured, it just throws me off, like, I don't, I, I would like to see them change that video board to mimic what it looks like to have the actual stands sure. right there. Yep. Like, I don't understand why they didn't, maybe they tried it and it didn't look good, but why wouldn't you just recreate the exact same camera angle of all those seats being filled? And yep. Maybe they couldn't fill it with fans, but I feel like recreating it, maybe even making the screen a little bit taller and just like faking the environment. So even when players look up, you know, the way a screen is, they're high definition enough that you can make it look like there's, it's actually looking at the arena full of people. So I feel like that was a missed opportunity. They probably explored it, but I would like to see them change that because it just looks too weird. Minus Paul, Paul Pierce looking crazy when the Celtics blew that lead. That was a, a cool little shot of him. But other than that, I think it, the uncanny valley part of it is i think is a great take does anybody know are they live shots connor do you know i mean i i I just assumed that they don't actually have a camera pointed at all these guys but do we know what those what those shots actually are i didn't i didn't think they were live but i might be wrong dude let me change the question because i'm i'm interested in this do you wish you were there man you know so i'm not i we can talk about this, and I love watching it. From my perspective, I'm glad to be watching it from outside of the bubble. You do this for a living. Do you wish you were in Orlando? To be honest, I don't. Um, I'm actually kind of relieved that the Warriors aren't there just so I don't have to deal with all this because it, the reality is that even if the Warriors were there, I, prob- I probably wouldn't be there because it costs media over like $65,000 to stay in the bubble. And I'm not sure the Chronicle would be willing to foot that bill. And also that it's you're paying a lot of money for very little gain. There's there's very little access. Um, a lot of the access you, you could do if you weren't there, just getting in on Zoom calls and things like that. Um, I've talked to people who are in the bubble, and it doesn't sound like a super fruitful experience from a reporting perspective. So um, I'm personally glad I'm not there. I'm glad I don't have to deal with it. Maxine, Marcus, do you boys wish you were there? Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. It's like it's summer camp, and I mean, I've heard a lot of the same things. You know, the the angles that I see are the vlogs from players and uh, some of the behind the scenes media stuff that that I think makes it appear a lot more rosy than it is. You know, I've heard if you're going to be a reporter, which is kind of the only other way to get in, I guess, you're relegated to like a parking lot to walk around outside. Um, your your access is a lot more limited. That sounds pretty brutal, but at the same time, this is 
hopefully a once in a lifetime experience. I sure hope that this doesn't happen again next year and that we don't ever have to deal with a pandemic like this again. It's it's pretty special. And, you know, the opportunity to see some of these players up close without sort of throngs of people around them all the time, I think is special. And there are opportunities here, you know, in in gigantic change like this there's also tons of room for for new creative ways that maybe haven't even been explored yet and i would just love to be in that small epicenter trying to see how i might be able to get involved in a new way this feels like it's cooler in idea than it is in actual practice um a friend of mine years ago and this reference is going to date me but it is what it is was a huge fan of married with children and had an opportunity to go watch it live and he talked about it like nonstop for months. Like, oh, I'm going to Hollywood and I can't wait and blah, blah, blah. Al Bundy, this, this or that. And then when he actually went, it was a huge disappointment. It was all like waiting and logistics. And he didn't really get that close to anybody and like didn't really get to talk to anybody. It seems like being a reporter in the bubble essentially is that. There seems to be like all of these logistical roadblocks between them and the historic thing that they're actually actually covering and we might be getting equal access from outside the bubble because there's so many damn cameras inside of it uh mt would you want to be there um probably not because i would have to be working it i mean i think the only way i'd want to be there is if i was working for um walt disney world and just you know like and that was my job because it's still like a virtual or almost like a, a Super Bowl environment where there's just these celebrities and star athletes walking around all the time. And that's the only people that's in there with you. So that part of it would be cool. But to Connor's point, if you have to work it and you're looking to chase down stories, like the last thing these athletes want to do during their time off is, you know, give you a story. They're, they're trying to go fishing and play cornhole and all those other things. So I, um uh, I don't think I would go unless I was able to have a cool job with Walt Disney World to enjoy it a little bit better. Yeah, and nothing against the reporters who are there because it's really not their fault. But just reading the, the stuff that's coming out of the bubble, there's not a lot that's very insightful um, or kind of lifting the curtain on things beyond just what they're seeing from their own little prism. Um, you know, they're not getting these big sit downs with players. They're, they're having to rely on big group availabilities where little is said. And so, um, I think being there would be a really frustrating experience. And I understand Maxime's point that it is a historic event and that would be cool to say that you were there because it is a historic thing. But I think for me, it would just be more frustrating than anything. And I don't, I think I'd, I think I'd hate it honestly, if I was there. Can you imagine how ironic and surreal it would be if you're there as a Disney employee and you're one of the people who can enter the bubble, but you can also leave it, you know? I mean, and so that's my understanding, right? Is that the people who are there for the NBA, they are policing medically as hard as you can police anybody. And they're keeping these guys in a bubble. But the people who work for Disney, the hotel employees are not kept in that bubble. They're allowed to go in and out. If I'm right about that, can you imagine how uncomfortable that would make you feel? Like if I'm sitting there and I'm like the, I don't know, the person who checks in the bags, the porter or something, and I see LeBron James come in and they go through every inch of his last two months uh, medical history and make sure he hasn't gone anywhere. And they go through all of his entourage. All right, where have you guys been? Let's make sure no one's been anywhere. And then in my mind, I'm thinking, well, today I went to the 7-Eleven. Last night I went to Target. You know, it's like, one of these protections is not really working. I must either be in real danger or these guys aren't at all. Um, but 
I digress. In fact, let's use this as an excuse to talk about the Warriors because it's far more important. Um, so last week, Connor, we reached out to our mutual friend, Wes. He came in and he offered us basically the Cliff Notes version on the traded player exception. Um, and one of the reasons I was so excited to have you back is we need a very similar breakdown of the mid-level exception. And I'm talking, you know, baseline. What is it? How the Warriors can use it? Uh, the whole nine yards. So let me just start real easy. What is the mid-level exception and uh, how can the Warriors use it? Yeah, the mid-level exception, I mean, it's something that the Warriors pretty much have every year. Um, it is... Um, it's around this year. It's supposed to be around six million dollars, and basically, it's for teams that are going to be in the tax who where they can still uh, pay you know enough money f to acquire like a rotation caliber player in free agency. You know, six million dollars in the current landscape a year is is not going to get you an all star. It's not going to get you superstar, but it's going to get you someone who can help, and that's really what the goal is. Um, you know, crazy things can happen. Obviously, they got DeMarcus Cousins on it a couple years ago. I don't see that happening. But I think best case scenario for the Warriors would be to to get a, a helpful center, someone like Marcus Gasol, maybe Serge Ibaka, maybe Paul Millsap. Um, but I think their 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 priority with that is going to be to go after Marcus Gasol. I think he's a perfect fit for what they do offensively. He's also a former Defensive Player of the Year. I think a center rotation with Marcus Soul, a healthy Kavon Looney, and Marquise Chris, that's a that's a good center rotation. I think you're feeling good about that going into the year, knowing that that's a center rotation that can be, you know, on a contending caliber team. I couldn't agree with you more. And if you heard furious scratching, it was me destroying the outline because I was all excited about asking you about Marcus All, and then you jumped right into him. So I'm I'm anxious to hear your thoughts on him. And in fact, I've got a bunch of center names I'm going to throw down, but I'm a little distracted. So let me ask you this first. So I, I mentioned, so last time we had Wes on and I dropped the term uh, cliff notes then. Since I've gotten an insane amount of feedback on email, uh, warriorsuttle.gmail.com, by the way, if you want to let me know that I'm remarkably stupid. But what most people were asking me was, what are cliff notes? And maybe again, it's just an illustration of how old I am. Connor, have you ever heard of cliff notes? Do you know what those are? Yeah, I use them. Okay. Uh and like my my generation, we use Sparknotes, which was like the online version of it. Sparknotes.com. Boom. And and so how often like were you a huge user of them? I mean, like uh, my senior year of high school to uh, try to eradicate senioritis. My English, my AP English teacher decided to assign Don Quixote, which is like yep. over a thousand pages long which obviously I'd already gotten into college. I already knew what I was doing. I was not reading Don Quixote. <laughs> so I spark noted that and got by. And, uh, and so, you know that, but in terms of the word, the term cliff notes, I use it all the time myself. Like, Hey, can you just give me the cliff notes or here's just the cliff notes version, you know, like Boom. thank the, you, the boilerplate, you know, that's what's up. And if, if you are one of those people who don't know what the hell we're talking, 
talking about. They, they, I don't know what their actual purpose is. You know, like I'm not. Sure, I, I doubt that they advertise them. These are for people who are too lazy to actually read a book. But they would take complicated books. Let's say they're a thousand pages and make them like. 20 pages and super easy to comprehend. And if it makes you feel any better, Connor, not only did I use Cliff Notes, I can remember, I think it was junior year in high school. And this is an illustration both of the kind of burger student I was and the type of education I received at the Oakland Public High Schools. But they asked us to read Death of a Salesman. And I not only read the Cliff Notes, I may or may not have brought the Cliff Notes with me when we had to, uh, to take the test on it. And I may also have literally verbatim just wrote something from the Cliff Notes into my test answer. And when I got that test back, Connor, that segment was highlighted with the word Cliff Notes question mark on it. And I still passed the test. So, you know, <laughs> just, you know, it is what it is. Also, I, you know, went to a good college. Don't judge me. Everything, uh, everything locked into place later on. Um, I shouldn't ask, but I need to. Maxime, Marcus, neither of you guys strike me as cheaters, but Cliff Note user, did you guys cheat in high school? Absolutely. I don't think there was any way that I could have understood Shakespeare without Cliff Notes. <laughs> And, and MT, you gave me just a blanket absolutely to, to both questions. Were you also a cheater or just a Cliff Notes guy? Um, a Cliff Notes guy, for sure. I, I got so bad. I didn't even, even the Cliff Notes started to feel a little long. I was like, uh, were let me just skim the Cliff Notes <laughs> because I'm not trying to read the whole Cliff Notes book either. So um, no, those are lifesavers. I mean, the problem with it was they were that bright yellow and black design on the cover that just gave it away immediately. I wish they would have been a little more incognito with the front cover design so you could bring them into the test. I never brought it into the test as boldly as you did. I think that I was so lazy that as I used it to scratch out an answer in the test, I thought to myself, why does this sentence have to be so long? So, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm not proud. Uh, let's turn back to the Warriors. I've got some center names, Connor. You already threw out the one I'm most intrigued by. And it's also the name we hear all the time, Marcus Soul. Um, so let me ask you this. How likely is it that Marcus Soul would be willing to take the mid-level exception? What has to happen? And do you think that it could? I actually think there's a decent chance that it'll happen. Um, Marcus Soul is 35 years old. He played pretty well last season, but it is clear that uh, he is on the down the the down end of his prime. I mean, I think he probably has a couple years left in him. Uh, that being said, he's a helpful player. I think there's a chance that he'll get offered a little bit more than the mid level, but I don't think it's going to be crazy amount a crazy amount more. Um, and it might be close enough where. The money is somewhat negligible. I mean, this is a guy who I think has made around like $170 million in his career. So you would think that an extra million or $2 million is not going to make or break him. Sure. Um, so I, I think that he is going to get offered the mid-level by the Warriors as soon as they possibly can. And I think he'll take a hard look and strongly consider it because – the Warriors do fit him perfectly. Uh, the, the Warriors have eyed him for years. I think he's aware of that. Um, he He's a really skilled passing big man, which is exactly what the Warriors need at that spot. They need someone who can be kind of the offensive fulcrum and, and kind of do what David West and Zaza were good at, which is posting up on the low block and, and kicking out to open shooters. 
and kind of directing the offense and being a hub of that offense. And I think he can do that really well. He's also a really good three-point shooter. I think he shot over 40% from three this season. Um, and I think that that's, that's exactly what they need. And, you know, he has, I think, uh, gotten worse defensively, but he's still very much an above average defensive player. This is a guy who was a former defensive player of the year. I think he, he sees the floor really, really well. He can kind of direct guys on defense, especially the younger guys, which is going to be really important. So I think he understands that he's a smart guy. And I think that, uh, you know, he, he knows that he could come in and be potentially a starting center or playing 25, 30 minutes a night for a team that has a chance to contend. I mean, for me, if I'm him, that'd be hard to turn down. Is there a specific why? Um, and let me do a better job of explaining that. Like you, you mentioned David West, huge component, and there was a why on why he would come here. You know, even though he could have gotten more money somewhere else, he hadn't won a, a title, liked the Warriors shots at winning that title. So he was down to take a little bit less and come here. Gasol won one last year with Toronto, as we, as we painfully know. Is there a why behind this one? You know, is there some reason why Gasol would want to come here as opposed to somewhere else? Well, you know what's better than one ring is two rings. So uh, let me check your math on that. No, you're right. Okay, no, you're. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's not in David West situation where he's trying to chase his first ring, but he still wants another ring, and I'm sure he knows that his opportunities are limited. You know, he is 35, so um, I think he's going to want to go to a situation where he has the best chance to win another one and also be an important piece. And I, I mean, I think he, if the Warriors signed him. If he wasn't starting, he would be playing starters minutes. I mean, he would be their best center, even if Kavon's healthy. Um, even though Marquise Chris has improved a lot over the past year, I think that he could come in and be a stabilizing force along that front line. Put on your Nostradamus hat. One, zero chance he's here. Ten, he's already signed the deal and will be on a plane the second the bubble has popped. What do you think? What, what are the chances of the Warriors landing him between one and ten? I say five. Uh, five or six. I think, I think the thing is he's going to have other attractive suitors too. So, um, and there might be a couple teams that can offer him more money. So, um, this isn't going to be the only championship contender that he is going to have the option of going to. That's the only reason I put it at five. At the back end of this, Marcus and Maxime, I'm going to ask you boys, best case, who do you want them to have? And then who do you ultimately think is coming in? So you don't have to tell me if you think Gasol is your, uh, is the bell of the ball, but do you guys like the idea? Does Gasol speak to you? Yeah, he, he speaks to me. Um, it, the comparisons uh, of him to David West and Zaza, I think, are good. I, he always struck me as a uh, fit like Bogut fit for us um where he's got defense he's just setting really good screens and bogey with the three-pointer obviously um but I, I think he plays that role really well and i think he would be a, a good fit so um i like that addition to of him i was hoping connor would say something stronger than a five or a six um yeah i almost I, wish yeah. i hadn't asked that final question right didn't you like when you kind of left us with i thought he was going to say like seven or eight. Um, right. <laughs> and I, I like the Bogut thing. It's like Bogut without the Australian FU, you know, um, and, and without the Australian injury history. So there's an upside there. Maxime, do you like it all? Yeah, I actually really like the Bogut comp. I think that's pretty nice. I think it, you know, this will be the first time since Andrew Bogut that we've had somebody that can kind of be a floor general from the five. And that's a very appealing option to me. I think that the Warriors would take huge advantage of that. Connor, what do you think 
What about Derek Favors? Um, I haven't seen his name thrown around that frequently, but I lean, and he doesn't have the outside shot of Gasol and might not be the pasture Gasol is, but he's younger. There's no injury concerns. Um, and he's a hell of a rebounder and, you know, it can give you at least 10 points. His, his future might be brighter. What do you think about his addition? Are the Warriors interested? And is that a possibility? Yeah, I haven't thought a lot about him, but I don't think he's a bad backup plan. <clears throat> he's only 29 years old. He's in, he should be in his prime still. He's a really good rebounder. Um, he's a hustle guy, energy guy. He hasn't lived up to his billing as a former number three pick, but he's still like a solid rotation guy. And the Warriors have struggled with rebounding. They were not a good rebounding team last right. season. I think he could come and really kind of make that his his role and and carve out his niche there. I don't think that's a bad backup plan I th- at the mid-level. Um, they could do worse, but – to me, it's a pretty big drop-off from, from Marcus Soule. Back to Marcus Soule, and I should have asked you this earlier. What, like, are we hoping that Toronto loses early? You know, are we hoping that Toronto wins again and he feels like he doesn't have anything left to do in Canada? Is there anything that could happen during this bubble season that increases the Warriors' shots at landing Gasol in your mind? Um. Or it seems like maybe with him, it's just doesn't necessarily matter because he does already have a title and it'll just be money at the back end. I think that that Toronto is going to try to bring him back regardless of how they do in the playoffs this year. Um, and my guess would be they offer him around the mid-level. I don't know exactly what their cap situation is, um, but you, you they might end up having to choose between Serge and him. And I, I would think they would choose him, though Serge, I think, is a little younger. So. Right. Um, they it can understand. I can understand why they would pick Surge, but I th- I do think that Gasol's the better player. How about Paul Millsap? He's another guy, um, kind of in the Mark Gasol mold. Used to be one hell of a player, All Star uh, skill set at least in the past. Now might be a little over that. He's an unrestricted free agent next year, um, and his bonus is he doesn't have that title. So there's a reason they could entice him. Good idea, bad idea. I like him more than Derek Favors. Um, to me, if you can't get Serge or Gasol, that I would go for Millsap. He's not a true center. He's he's kind of like Draymond. He's like he's six seven, two hundred fifty pounds. Uh, really more of a four, but I think he can play the five. Um, I don't think he'd have a problem with that. His game, he's kind of got an old school game where he just you know attacks the glass and you know out outworks his opponents. So. Um, you know, he's not the player he used to be, but I kind of look at him as like a David West guy where he could come in and right. and be savvy and help the young guys. And by all accounts, he's a really good dude. Um, so I think he would fit the ethos and things like that. So um, not not my number one choice, but not a bad backup player. How likely do you think um, the Warriors would have a shot at him? That same paradigm as before, one to ten. I mean, if they if they made him a priority and went after him, I think that they could probably get him. Huh. I'd, give it, I, I'd give him like an eight. Uh, MT, does that fire you up? I mean, so I, I Millsap's not a starter, you know, um, or at least not a difference-making starter. But if we ask him to give us uh, 10, 12 off the bench, if you ask Paul Millsap to be David West, who David West on the Warriors, I think he could do it, no? Yeah, he could. Um, I mean, I... I much prefer Atlanta Hawks version of David of Millsap than yep. um, the Denver Nuggets version, but 
Um, I wouldn't do it. I think to Connor's earlier point, I think Toronto has to make a decision between Gasol and Ibaka and whichever one of those two that they don't go after, I'd prefer either of those over Millsap. Um, so if, if they hang on to Gasol, you know, I think Ibaka is still a better fit for the Warriors, um, than Millsap just because Ibaka's, you know, his injury history isn't quite as bad and he's a little bit more mobile and his, you know, his size is a little bit bigger. So I'd prefer to have Ibaka over Millsap. I got a bunch of random names here. We're going to use Connor as our backstop as the, uh, as the expert once his opinion is, uh, is needed. So I'm going to throw these names. Marcus Maxime, stop me when I've come to a name that you're interested in. Um, and we'll ask Connor about them if we find one. These are mostly wings because all we've covered is, is center so far. Jay Crowder. Anyone interested? Yeah, I'm interested in Jay Crowder for sure. I like Jay Crowder. Yeah. Um, then let, let's start backwards. If the Warriors decided to make him a priority, Connor, one to 10, could they get him? I think they could. Yeah. Like nine, 10. I mean, that, that high. Okay. Um, Defensive guy, you know, would would give us some outside shooting. Isn't really a you know threat from the corner. He's not the kind of guy you can count it if he's left open. But he's also not the type of person you can leave open and um, and feel good about him missing it. So, not a terrible addition, uh, Maxime. What do you think? Why do you like Jay? I, I mean, I really liked him on the Jazz. I think that he's got a lot of heart. You know, I think it's at a position that we really need. I think it could provide some decent firepower coming off the bench. Um, I, I'm actually curious, though, to what extent we, when we're talking about the mid-level exception, we're talking about, you know, one-year versus multi-year deals. Because I feel like, you know, Jay Crowder is in this category of people, right? He's right around the age, I think he's like right around 30 years old, if I'm not wrong. Um so that feels just like an like he's probably looking for a, a maybe a last big contract in the NBA, and I'm I'm wondering like you know maybe if that if if he doesn't get that opportunity maybe then like he signs a one year with us. But I'm curious to what extent, especially when we're talking about some of these older guys, you know like the Gasols and the Millsaps who are both sitting at the 35 you know end of the spectrum, are we actually going to be are we looking for a player to kind of be on like a one year prove it deal? Or are we trying to lock somebody up with this mid-level for a couple of years? Because I feel like if it's in the former camp, we're less likely to be able to attract Jay Crowder um, than if, you know, we could sign him to a multi-year deal. And I don't know that that's somebody that I would necessarily want for a multi-year deal. Connor, do you feel like the Warriors have a, a definitive direction during this off season? You know, I mean, like without knowing for sure what their draft pick is going to be, do we know whether or not they're going to go for broke and try to build a championship team first and foremost, you know, like, like go for veterans who can immediately contribute and who cares about three years from now, or are they going to focus on restocking the cabinet and making sure that Steph has someone to hand the baton to like, is, is there a, a definitive direction yet? Or is that still kind of being figured out? I think they know exactly what they want to do this off season. I had someone ask me uh, on my mail in my mailbag today, um, is what happens in the bubble going to affect the Warriors and their plans? And I think that they already know exactly what they want to do, and I don't think what happens in Orlando is really going to impact that that much. Um, they want to capitalize on the window that Steph and Clay and Draymond have left in their prime, and it's not a big window because they're all in their 30s right. now. So they're looking at maybe two to three 
best case scenario, four-year window. So they want to bring in guys who can help them win now. Um, but while, while balancing that with uh, trying to groom someone who can kind of take over the franchise in a few years. So that's why I'm pretty confident that they're going to end up keeping that top five pick, yep. not packaging it with the TPE. I think they're going to use that, that pick. Hopefully they can get someone with that pick that they feel confident or at least optimistic can um, help from day one. And then in a couple of years, be that kind of like face of the franchise guy. I think Anthony Edwards is a guy that could be that. I think, Tyrese Halliburton is a guy that could be that. I think that wherever they're picking in the top five, they're going to have a chance to get someone like that. Um, but then I think the rest of their moves are going to be that guy. So I think, you know, they're going to go after mainly vets in the in free agency. They're going to go after vets with the TPE. Um, so they're going to kind of try to balance those two aims. Let's put a bow on this gentleman. Make this the Cliff Notes version. And let me start here, Connor. Um, rank them. All right. What's the uh, the first, second, and third most valuable asset as Golden State enters the offseason? Your options are this year's draft pick, the MLE, and the TPE. Um, the the draft pick is the no, the most important asset, and then the second most important asset would probably be the uh, the TPE. And then the third most important would be the MLE. Uh, the The draft pick is the most important because it's simply something that doesn't come along very often. You know, the Warriors haven't had a top five pick since 2002 when they took a guy named Mike Dunleavy Jr. with number three pick in the draft. Um, and this is where we would insert Though the this is considered a weak draft in a lot of people's minds, uh, the Warriors know that they're they're going to be there are future All Stars in this draft, and there will be future All Stars available when they draft in the top five. And for a team that is hoping to not be in the lottery again, you know, outside of the pick that they have from uh, next year from Minnesota, they they know they need to capitalize on this, and and they know they need to make the most of this and get someone who can be really important going forward. So. I think that that top five pick is huge. Um, and then the TPE, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm because I don't think they're going to package it with the draft pick. I think they're going to just use it on its own and the caliber of player that you can get with that on its own is probably not as good as the average fan might assume. I mean, we're looking at like a, like a Rudy Gay type, um, Rudy Gay is a good player. He's in, he's well into his thirties now. I think he can come in and be a good seventh, eighth guy on a, a contending team. Um, but that's kind of the type of guy you're you're going after. And I think the mid level best case scenario you're getting someone who's probably a little bit better than someone like in a Rudy Gay. Maybe you're getting a Marcus Soule or Serge Ibaka, but that's no guarantee. So that's why I rank it that way. Let's make these names and we'll go quick version. All right. Best case scenario in the draft. What name? Anthony Edwards. Best case scenario with the TPE? Um, depending on how they use it. I mean, you could get uh, Dennis Schroeder, who I think would be really helpful. Yep. Weird uh, hair, but hell of a game. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they could use like that score off the bench. I personally like that fit. I know Wes and I have talked many times about this, and Wes is super down on that, but uh, we disagree about that. Um, so Sh- Schroeder, and then uh, for the MLE, I would say Marcus Sol. 
And uh, back to Marcus and Maxime and I to close it out. Best case scenario for the uh, the MLE because the audience has already heard our take, at least on the TPE. It's Gasol for me, but to be um, to give you a different answer and a little bit more information, I'll say I'd also be equally as happy with Davis Bertrand. Um, I don't think they have any shot at him. I think he's going to get paid a lot more after the year he had in Washington, but he's got the skill set that I would like to see here. MT, why don't you go second? Best case scenario with the uh, mid-level. Um, I like Bertrand's too, but to say a different name, I would say uh, Avery Bradley. <clears throat> and uh, why? Um, I think he's just a, a nice fit. He's he's a good three-point shooter and uh, defensive-minded. I think you could bring him off the bench and he would um, settle down the second unit. He's got you know some veteran savviness to him as well. So um, I just think he's a good fit and he fits around that that same salary. I think he's making four or five, six, somewhere around there right now. And Maxime, your best case scenario, close us out with the MLE. Um, I, I will say, especially, you know, if they don't end up going for a center in the draft, which I don't think they should in James Wiseman, then I would love to see Gasol on the team. Hunter, it is so great having you back. I am sure I'm not the only one fired up to have you back in the Golden State fold. For everybody out there who needs more Letourneau, where do they go, man? Uh, follow me on Twitter at con underscore cron. Read all my stuff at sfchronicle.com. I will be providing as much content as humanly possible these next few weeks. Well, for us, the first 45 minutes of this show is brought to you by Cliff Notes. The last 15 minutes were by Spark Notes. Hopefully you enjoyed them. It was what it was. Uh, you want to reach out to us, let us know we did a good job, bad job, any job. We're on Twitter, Warriors Huddle or at Warriors Huddle. We're also on Gmail. It is uh, warriorshuddle at gmail.com. The next time you hear from us, I've got a special segment planned dealing with your guys' reviews. And here's why we are also on iTunes, where if you drop us a five-star review, you have no idea how much it helps us and how much it, uh, it means to us. And we're going to be reading some of those five stars next week. So if uh, you'd like to be on the show or just want to help us out, hop up on iTunes and drop a five-star. Thank you, guys. Go Warriors. And hopefully, we'll see you next week. Good, good. Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet full of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, you're sure to find your next closet go-to from American Giant. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code S-T-A-P-L-E-2-0.